Psalm 42. Now, before we get into this, it might be hard for some of you to imagine this, though, that a book about depression would be a popular book back in 1965, but it was. I have this book in my library if you're interested in reading it. But uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, subtitled Its Causes and Cure. Now, you need to know something about Dr. Martin, that he used to be a medical doctor, and uh, he ended up being a pastor, and uh, went from helping people's just their physical problems to all their problems. And uh, he found that as a pastor, Depression was an issue even in England during the 1960s. So he preached a series of sermons, 21 sermons, according to the introduction to the book. Uh, It was an issue even back then. And interestingly enough, the book became one of the most highly valued and widely circulated books that he ever wrote. The only conceivable reason that it was so popular certainly wasn't because of its amazing title. Who wants to read a book called Spiritual Depression, right? But the the reality was there was a lot of people, even including Christians, who were depressed, people who were looking for solutions to their problems. You're not going to find it with a psychologist, that's for sure, or a psychiatrist. And the reality is uh, we're all depressed at times, okay? We're all depressed at times, so don't, don't put yourself in some category where this doesn't apply to you, because this certainly does. Uh, We all get down in the dumps. We're all singing the blues at some point in our life. We we feel that God has forgotten us at some point in our life. You might feel like uh, you're never going to be able to get on track with God again. and It's it's just one of those conditions that uh, the mystics of old appropriately titled, it's the dark night of your soul. If you haven't been in that point in your life yet, then you haven't had enough life experience. It's going to come. You're just too young. It's coming. It's coming. You will have the dark night of your soul. And so you need to know how to deal with that before that time comes. And Psalm 42 and 43 are very helpful. I love the book of Psalms. It's my favorite Old Testament book in the Bible, and this is one of the most helpful Psalms there is. Uh, In fact, Psalm 42 and 43 are all about depression. And you need to know how to deal with this. And God's going to give you the causes and the cure here. Now, most of us are downcast, just like this psalmist was. And and this is one of these things we can turn to. If, If you're downcast, if you're depressed, if you're singing the blues, you're unhappy, this is going to give you some answers. This is going to give you some hope. So let's, let's look at the psalm here. And first of all, one of the things we're going to see here is what actually causes spiritual depression. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm going to borrow the spiritual depression phrase from his book because uh, th- this is distinguishing it from, from things like biological or chemical or physical depression. Certainly your body can, can, help, can, can help lead you into depression, but what we're talking about here is spiritual depression, okay? So Psalm 42 and 43 is going to give you at least seven reasons for it. At least seven reasons. So let's just read, uh, starting here, Psalm 42, verse 1. Verse 1 says, As a deer 
Pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me. I'm in chapter 43 now. 43 verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's look at seven causes of spiritual depression. Notice, number one, the first two verses we see here, that spiritual dryness is caused by missed public worship. It's caused by mispublic worship. Now, if you notice the title of the Psalm 42, it is, it is to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. These are the worship leaders, if you will, of Israel. Now, whoever composed this particular psalm was far from Jerusalem, was far from the temple worship there on Mount Zion. And so he's feeling cut off from God. He's feeling cut off from his his job, his ministry, his people, the whole temple, and, the, and even the own presence of God. And that's why the psalm begins here. He, he's panting after God. He's longing for God as just as a deer pants for water. And so, my friends, we need to understand something. You should expect to feel depressed. You should be singing the blues when you are spiritually dry. This is what you should expect. This is the norm for someone who is spiritually dry. We do not know exactly where this unknown author was. 
The only hint we have in the text is in verse 6, when the author, the human author that is, says he is somewhere near the land of the Jordan, somewhere near Mount Hermon. You say, well, where is that? Well, if you're geographically challenged, I put a, some PowerPoints on the screen here for you. This land of Jordan is, is a region, of course, somewhere near the Jordan River, but it was to the north and the east. Mount Hermon gives us uh, another idea that is somewhere up to the northeast. You'll see in these PowerPoints approximately where Mount Hermon is. It's that red square on the screen, uh, north, far north of the Sea of Galilee. A long, long way away from Jerusalem. Some of the writers suggested that that if uh, you were a traveler or a captive, maybe being led off to captivity to, say, to Babylon, for example, uh, Mount Hermon would be the last, uh, any, any, the last resemblance of home that they would see as they would be traveling or being led captive. It was the last point of anything familiar to them. So the psalmist is obviously far from home, feels he is also far from God. By the way, it's not that he doesn't believe that God is everywhere, because he is praying to God. He believes that God is there. He believes that God is hearing him. And so he prays. He is praying to God. But being away from home has gotten him down. He is depressed. He's, he's in this depressed state that's causing him to feel that, yes, God is everywhere, but God is absent. And so the question in verse 2 shows his desperate state. He's longing for a deeper awareness of God. Because in verse 2, he says, When shall I come and appear before God? God's there, but he just he wants an audience with God that he just can't seem to get. And there's another dimension to this sense of alienation from God. And you need to remember that whoever this person is, he is a son of Korah. And so if you keep that in mind, that's his employment, that's his ministry, a son of Korah. He was involved in the temple worship there in Jerusalem. That was his ministry. And so the author is, is facing some forced absence from his ministry, from the temple and from that worship. And so he's feeling a sense of being useless. It's reflected on his whole purpose for living. And so here's a warning, my friends, something that I'm continually learning. Uh, there is a deep idol of the heart called significance. One of the deep idols of our hearts is could be significance for you, where you find your identity, and maybe even in your employment, in your job, in your lifestyle, you want to find your identity in that thing, and when God takes that away, then you feel useless. I have a feeling this guy's going through this based on what he said here. And so perhaps you felt the force of that in some way or another in your own life. Uh, I'm sure people have felt this when they've lost jobs. I've felt this way when I've lost jobs or my ministry isn't going the way I would expect it to. Sometimes we feel this way when we maybe you're stuck in some dead-end job. Some people feel this way when they're, when they're forced into retirement, when they found their identity, their significance in their job, and then they're forced into it, made redundant or whatever. Uh, some people can feel this way in their old age when they 
maybe they're they're not feeling as useful as they used to and so because they're feeling useless then they're feeling a bit depressed so this is one of the causes of spiritual depression there's a second cause mentioned here in verse 3 it's verbal abuse from unbelievers unbelievers can be brutal they can be brutal in their slander and their gossip and so forth Verse 3 is just just an idea. <laughs> the psalmist mentions, My tears have been my food day and night. While they, that's the unbeliever, say to me all day long, Where is your God? That's not helpful. So here he is off in this distant land. He's surrounded by unbelievers. And notice it's day and night. They're constantly taunting him, saying, Where is your God? That must have hurt a lot. Because he repeats that line actually twice. And by the way, in ancient times, almost no one was a true atheist. Basically, 100% of the world's population during that time believed in certainly multiple gods of some sort or another. And so the idea here is, we believe in God, but where is your God when you need Him? He seems to be absent. Truly, that's a cause for deep depression. And so the psalmist is asking, where is God when I'm, when I'm away? I'm, here I am. I'm, I'm in this far-off country. I'm separated from my usual work. I'm being taunted by enemies. Why doesn't God intervene to change my circumstances? You ever felt that way? You don't like your circumstances? You're praying for God to change your circumstances, and they're not changing, and you feel uh, distant and, and absent from God. Like, you wonder, is God even he- hearing my prayers? So the psalmist's desperation is so bad, he says, my tears have been my food. Your tears ever been your food? In other words, th- this persistent mocking by the oppressor's has caused him so much sorrow and so much pain, he he doesn't even feel like eating. And he's just constantly crying. You ever been there? Your gut has just turned itself so much, you don't even want to eat because you're in so much pain. That's the way this psalmist is. The third cause here is memories of better days. He's had memories of better days. He talks about these things he remembers here in verse 4. And so as the psalmist is reflecting here on his present condition, his his mind is being drawn to the so-called good old days. (laughs) And so sadly, the psalmist is troubled by these, these good memories. Not wrong to have good memories, but sometimes comparison can kill our contentment. And so he's he's remembered all that exuberant joy he's experienced back in Jerusalem. The public worship there at the temple in Jerusalem was exciting. It was a good thing, good memories. And now here he is reflecting upon that, and it's not helping. Now there is a proper use of memories. Uh, when you are depressed, there's things you should be thinking about. We should remember God's God. We should remember His works, particularly His past acts. Those things should be encouraging us. 
But that is not what we find here in these psalms. And for many Christians, some of their best memories are are times when they're with God's people. That, that's appropriate. Uh, when when maybe when you're in a church setting, and maybe you're uh, maybe even during holiday times. Maybe you got good good memories of singing Christmas carols or whatever it is. Okay, I don't know Easter and and those kinds. Sometimes we have great memories of those particular times of the year. Good, that's good. But sadly, the absence of these times as well as the remembrance can contribute to our depression. So memories of better days is the third cause. Number four, the fourth cause of depression here mentioned here is physical separation. Physical separation. Verse Verse 6 talks about uh, his soul's cast down. So, therefore, I remember you. And notice where he is. He's out there somewhere in the land of Jordan, uh, somewhere in the area of Mount Hermon, or or Hermon and Mount Mazar there are mentioned. He's a long way away from Jerusalem, far more than a day's journey, several days' journey. He's away from the comforts of home. If you've ever been away from the comforts of home, sometimes your misery is just exalted and made to feel even bigger than what it is. And that's what's going on here. The fifth cause of depression mentioned here is the overwhelming trials of life. Notice how he describes in verse 7, talking about the deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. He's describing them like breakers and waves going over him. What's the idea there? Well, the writers, he's talking about his, his trials as waves and breakers. Any of you ever been caught in, in a wave? You've been out swimming in the ocean or, or surfing or on a, on a board of any kind or whatever you're doing in the ocean. You ever get caught up in a rip or, or be, being pounded by waves? They're powerful. It's frightening. And so his distress here is figuratively portrayed by allusions to violent water. That phrase, deep calls to deep, is picturing one wave calling out to another wave, and the waves are conspiring together against this person to just pound the guy to death, to take him out. So he's viewing himself like a stranded sailor just clinging on to a piece of driftwood in a raging storm. He doesn't know if he's going to survive it. Now, we do not know what these particular trials were, though you can imagine they were adverse circumstances. I mean, how else did he end up a long way away from home? He's nowhere near Jerusalem. And it's important to note that the trials were directed by God himself. Even the psalmist knew this because in verse 7, He says, these breakers and waves were yours. So he's acknowledging that God's in control. God's the one who's pounding him with these waves and breakers. They're coming from the Lord. He's recognizing this. The sixth cause is unanswered prayer. The sixth cause is unanswered prayer. Verse 9, he mentions... Is he, he says to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? That's the question he's asking. God's not coming to his aid immediately. 
We, we tend to ask why when God doesn't come to our aid immediately and it appears God's not listening, God doesn't care. And so the psalmist's prayer here seemed to go unanswered. By the way, it's important to remember that God answers prayer not just with a yes. Sometimes God answers prayer with a no. And sometimes God answers your prayer with a wait. Wait. And it's not unusual for a depressed person, by the way, to feel forsaken by God. That's, that's part of the problem when we are depressed. We feel forsaken by God. The seventh cause, the last one we'll look at here, is uh, this person is attacked from ungodly people. He's being attacked by ungodly people. If you look at chapter 43, verse 1, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So they're probably the same people who are taunting him back in chapter 42 there. The the same people who are asking him, hey, where is your God? But in this section we learn they've also been attacking him unjustly. He's praying for vindication. Here he is, notice he's pleading his cause out to God. Most of us can probably relate to this some way or another, and since it's not unusual for those who try to live for God to be unjustly accused, to be attacked, to be slandered, it's not unusual. It's not an unusual person here who is going to feel some uh, resentment, some hurt and depression as a result of that. But what about those many additional causes of depression? Well, when I was reading... Uh, in uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, I was just pulling out a few other things that he mentions. He, he adds uh, to this list that is not mentioned in the Scriptures. Let me just mention a few things quickly that might be of help to you. Uh, one of the things he mentioned was temperament. See, God's made us all different. Uh, probably all four temperaments are represented in this room, if I had to guess. Uh, for example, if you if you divide a room up into the two temperaments of introvert and extrovert, you'll probably find that usually it's the introverts that are going to be more inclined to depression. The introverts are more more inward focused, more self focused. They're they're deep. They tend to be deep thinkers. They're thinking about their life and what's happening around them and happening in and through them. And so they're they're the ones going to be more inclined to depression. You need to be aware of that. If you're an introvert, uh, another one is your physical condition. Uh, bad physical health is gonna—you're gonna be more inclined to depression if if you're if you're suffering bad physical health. Even godly people can suffer in this way. I'm, for example, I was thinking of of Pastor Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s, who was a pastor in London, England, suffered from gout very excruciating pain in his joints. The acid would build up in the joints and his doctor would often send him over to France. He just needed to escape. His wife often talked about his, you can read about that in her writings, his great suffering. He was often depressed as a result of that physical health that he had. A third one is a down reaction after great blessings. Be aware after great blessing. You can be attacked. That's exactly what happened to the prophet Elijah after the great victory on Mount Carmel. 
uh, one woman, the queen, makes an assault against him, and, and he runs off into the desert. Uh, he suffered some depression as a result of that. Another one is attacks from Satan himself and the demons. See, one of Satan's strategies is to take your eyes off God. You are a so-called sitting duck when he takes your eyes off Jesus Christ. And, and that's why, why Hebrews chapter 12 tells you to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Another one is unbelief. Unbelief is the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression. And we'll get more into that in a moment. But those are some other things you need to be aware of. So what's the cure for spiritual depression? What's the cure? Well, it's certainly not turned to the world. Certainly don't turn to the psychologist or the psychiatrist. There's a lot of false cures out there. Just drugging yourself up so and, and doing things like that is not going to help. Some people try to escape the depressing realities of their life. Uh, you know, whatever those realities are, people going through divorce or excessive entertainment, frequent holidays, you know, so forth, bad things happening in people's lives. Some people try to take pills. They're trying to drown their sorrows with alcohol or whatever it might be. Some go on drugs. Some try to eat chocolate. You know, some go to Pita Pit because the slogan of Pita Pit is eat yourself happy, right? You know, it's, you know some, some think retail therapy is going to help. You know, I'm really feeling sad, so I'm going to go to the mall. You know, the mall's going to, you know, I just need some retail therapy. You know, those, those cures are ineffective. They're not going to satisfy. They're not going to satisfy. I mean, I eat a, you know, I pick off one of those squares out of the chocolate, and it may, just makes me want another one. And I know a moment on the lips is forever on my hips, and so that just makes me more depressed, right? So it's not, it, that doesn't help. At best, you know, it's just going to lift your spirits for a little time, but it, it never ultimately satisfies. That's the problem with all those things. So Psalm 42 tells you how a godly person then can win out over depression. How do you win out over depression? Well, God, God knows. Look at the first thing he says. You, you need to find the root, the cause. Find the cause. And according to God, it's probably unbelief. According to God, it's probably unbelief. Look what God says. Verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 11 is the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? God repeats the same thing twice there. Find the cause. What's the cause? It's your unbelief. My unbelief. And what's unbelief, you say? Well, unbelief is just simply rejecting what God says is true. You, you've rejected reality, and you've supplemented reality with, with a fantasy world. That's why you can't be satisfied. And so the psalmist, what does he do? He takes himself in hand. The most important thing to be said about, by the way, this, uh, this approach to depression is it doesn't give in to the depression. It doesn't give in to the self-pity, but what it does is it fights with it. It wrestles with it. And so the psalmist spoke to his soul. How does he do that? Notice, he asks himself questions. Ask yourself questions when you're tempted with depression. And so these questions, why is he doing this? So there's a point to this. 
it, the point is to challenge yourself. They're designed to challenge. Bring yourself to a place of self-examination. He's trying to find the cause of his depression. And so that's the first step in curing spiritual depression. You have to find the cause. So talking to ourselves rather than allowing the circumstances of life to talk to you. Your circumstances are going to scream at you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to appear like it's impossible to block them out. You can put the earplugs in. You can put the, the earmuffs on. And you can still hear their, your circumstances screaming at you. I understand. I deal with that every day of my life. So the mind must speak to the emotions rather than the emotions dictating to your mind. So here's a helpful saying from Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression. I found this really helpful. I hope it, hope it serves you. Anyway, here's what he says. Quote, it's on the screen. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. It is because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we keep going down before him and fall before his attacks. And that is why this psalmist keeps saying to himself, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. He reminds himself of God. Why? Because he was depressed and had forgotten God, so that his faith and his belief in God and in God's power and in his relationship to God were not what they ought to be. Have you realized that most your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself? Instead of talking to yourself? Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. And so he stands up and he says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. End quote. I hope you find that helpful. See, we're really good at meditating, aren't we? The problem is, what are we meditating on? And so the second part of the cure here is do what you know should be done. Do what you know should be done. So after he asks himself this really important question in verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What does he need to do? He knows what he needs to do. As verse 5 says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So the second step in the battle against depression here is to challenge oneself to do what the spiritual self knows should be done. In this case, what is it? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. To hope, by the way, you say, what, what is that? Well, that just means... You're waiting upon God's perfect timing, and as you're waiting, you're not just doing nothing. You're, you're waiting with perfect confidence, with a strong trust in this amazing, good, and great God who has the future in His hands. There can be no lasting hope in anything else in this world that we live in. That's your only hope. There's never been and never will be any other hope. And so, my friend, if you have 
put your trust in God in days in your past, you can do it again. The psalmist had put his trust in God in days past, and now he's grabbing a hold of himself and he's saying, do it again! Do it again. Hope in God. Do what you know needs to be done. Sometimes you need a friend to do this. Kind of come alongside. Be like Galatians 6. Kind of help bear your burdens, help hold you up. You can do it. Hope in God. That's why you need to be a part of a healthy church, by the way. That's part of the, part of the purpose of a church. Again, a helpful quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, quote, You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. End quote. See, it's not going to help for you to just complain and mutter and whinge and whine and complain and so forth, right? You have to change the content of your meditation, and that's, that's really what's involved here of point number three. What's the cure? How are you going to cue your spiritual depression? Look at number three here. Remind yourself of the truth. In other words, meditate on the right content. Because the end of verse 5, what do we see about God? Why should I hope in God? Because it says, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Wow. (laughs) Again, Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones says this, You must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is, what God has done and what God has pledged Himself to do. And then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall again praise Him. So, you've got to remind yourself of truth. That means you need to know the truth. You've got to meditate on the right content. That means you need to know what reality is. So what's the right content? Well, in one word, it's God. God hasn't changed. He's promised to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's promised to never leave you and forsake you. And so therefore, His purposes for me haven't changed. He's led me to uplifting victories in times past. We can all, if your eyes are open to God, you can see those victories in the past. And so believe He's going to do it again. Instead of looking at the past as something you've lost, look at it as something, as a foretaste of all the good things to come. Notice, by the way, where this praise followed from. It's, it's flowed from the truth that the Lord was His Savior and God. He knew that as a reality. So my friends, here's my main idea from, from the text. If you remember nothing else, at least remember the main idea. Okay, here it is. When faced with severe discouragement, long for the presence of God and exhort your soul to hope in God. Let me repeat that. When faced with severe discouragement, Long for the presence of God and exhort your soul to hope in God. 
So, what is the what is the Bible's medicine? The Bible has a lot of medicine. This is just a few helpful things from this text, but let me give you some other thoughts to think about. What what's does the the Bible's medicine really work on your spiritual depression? Well, the progress achieved by it is evident through this psalm. For example, if you look how the the thought flows and the in the mood through the text is is going that might be helpful for example in the first stanza chapter 42 the psalmist remembers the former days at the temple he, he's oppressed by the memories in stanza two he draws on memory again but this time he's trying to remember god and, and god's goodness god is always good and then in the first stanza he's troubled by the taunts of the enemies saying to him where's your god and then in the second stanza particularly verse 8, he answers that God is with him. In verse 1, he feels that God is absent. In verse 9, he says, God is my rock. Something that's solid, something that is sure, something that's immovable. And and by the time you come to chapter 43, verse 2, look what it says. 43, verse 2, he says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Wow. Wow. So God's his refuge. And notice, it's a very confident prayer, isn't it? Very confident prayer. God's going to guide him back to the place of worship. God's going to bring him back to the joys of former days. And so the first two stanzas, you can think of them as laments. But the third has become this strong, believing prayer in a good God. By the way, the same movement carries into the flow of thought in the last stanza, of these two chapters, if you look at chapter 43, verse 3, 43, verse 3, he asks the question, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? <laughs> That's interesting. The motion he anticipates from God here is, is marked out in four stages. Look, let me just point them out for you. First of all, he says, uh, it, it the, the motion is, is going backward to Mount Zion, that holy hill, from that very place that he had been removed from. Second, it's to the temple upon Mount Zion, that, that very place where God dwells. And then third, third motion is, is verse 4, it's to the altar of God there at the temple in Jerusalem. And then the fourth motion he's mentioning here is, is to God himself in verse 4, because verse 4 he says, You are my king, O God. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong chapter. Verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God. In Jerusalem, he's talking about, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Confident joy. Let me just end with uh, another helpful exhortation to you. Some of you have gone through quieting a noisy soul. I've found it incredibly helpful in my own life. If you've never gone through it, please come and talk to me. Uh, I'll I'll be able to help you out. But I remember back in 2009, it just seems like donkeys years ago, doesn't it, to me? But uh, I think that was the first year, if I remember correctly, the first year I watched it. And uh, one of my former professors was the one who did it, Jim Berg, and there's a wonderful DVD series that goes with it, Quieting a Noisy Soul, and it was very life-transforming for uh, for me. And one of the things I found helpful there is Dr. Berg, 
exhorts us to stop and think. And in fact, if you're struggling, he, he actually suggests you write out cards, stop, think cards. That's why it says stop and think on the screen. And one of the things you need to do is you need to track your thoughts, not your feelings. Do what the psalmist does. Grab a hold of yourself. Okay, You're too emotional. You need to think reality here. right? Track the what-ifs, the I-don't-likes, and the if-only statements. And, and uh, I know my wife and I had long discussions, talked often over the years about our, our wrong meditation, our wrong content, and how we needed to use Scripture to transform our thinking. And uh, it's funny, we had some of the same things as we were kind of comparing notes. Some of the same things at the time. Uh, l- let me just share some things from my own heart. and Maybe you'll find this helpful. For example, uh, here, here's some, some bad thinking on, on my part. If only we had more church members. <laughs> we had a number of mass exoduses uh, many, many years ago. Uh, lots of people coming and going. It was really discouraging for our church. Me, I know, it was really discouraging for me. And so I had to grab a hold of myself and think like Philippians 4.11 where the Apostle Paul says, Hey, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. (laughs) I needed Scripture to renew my thinking, renew my mind. Another one is, uh, hey, you know, I just don't like the attitudes of, you know, people who claim to be Christians. Christians were hurting me more than the unbelievers in my life during that time. And so I needed Philippians 4.13 that, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Another one was, uh, you know, what if the church just like kind of falls apart, you know, because lots of people were leaving and if there's not enough finances, then then what's my family? How's God's going to provide? And, you know, these were the sort of things I was thinking. So I needed Philippians 4.19. I need to stop and think that God's going to supply my needs. God knows my needs. He's promised to take care of me. Is God good or not? You know, I'm questioning the goodness of God, the greatness of God. And so I needed to stop, recognize who God is, what God has said, who He's declared Himself to be, and believe that reality. And so those are some of the things I had to do to help cure my own depression. You can do the same, just like the psalmist does. There is a cure. You're not going to find it in drugs. In fact, by the way, let me just warn you. Let me just warn you, it's a proven fact. More people commit suicide when they're on depression drugs than when they're off. So beware, beware. It's a proven fact. What the, what the depression drugs do to people is they lessen the fear of suicide and so people go and commit suicide because they're, they're living in their fantasy world. They don't understand the consequences because the drugs have, have had adverse effect on their mind. It's a nasty thing. Just be aware of that. And so you need to find the cure not in drugs, not in the world's wisdom, but in God himself. That's the cure for your spiritual depression. Seek God when you are downcast. He's your only hope. God can enable you to come through. You're not alone. You have God. You have God's people. And uh, God's with us. He hasn't abandoned us. All good things we need to be thinking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We're thankful for psalms like this, good reality check that really speak to our hearts, very emotional but but good. We all because we all struggle with depression. We're all downcast at some point in our lives. So may we see ourselves here in these words. May we uh, put ourselves in His sandals for a moment and walk with Him and understand what causes these things and how do I get out of this? What's the, what's the cure? We're thankful that You are the cure, but may we really believe that. May we run to You. May the, the believers around us help us to see reality and, and to help bear our burdens and lift us up, help us when we've fallen. We're thankful that uh, we have other believers w- who are in the fight with us who can understand our struggles because we all struggle with depression at some point or another. So may we not uh, be fake, but may we be genuine with each other, uh, not... Uh, live in some fantasy world, but we, may we just really understand what is reality, who you are, and what, what our lives are like and what this world is like. Thank you for giving us a cure. We're thankful for a great hope we can only find in you. May we believe who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.